So first of all, welcome Dr. Reddy. Thank you for having me here. Yeah, it's an absolute pleasure to have you here today. It's my honour. Yeah, so I guess the first thing to start is exactly what you do for a living. So you're a consultant A&E doctor, is that the correct term? That's correct, yeah. Okay, and what does that actually mean? So in order to be a consultant, you've got to train for about good 10, 12 years to be a consultant in that speciality, right? Okay. Then I work in A&E, um, which you can get an array of things. So as a consultant, you need to overlook everything that's happening. So when you say like you train for 10 or 12 years, how does that break down? Is it like normal five or six years initially to become a doctor and then you train to be a consultant? How does that, how does that work? It takes a long time. I know that. (laughs) (laughs) So you kind of study for five, six years, depending on the country. That's kind of standard. Uh, You come out and you think you're a doctor, but you don't know nothing. Okay. Just just like when you pass your driving test. Pretty much that, exactly that, right? Uh, and then you train for another seven years uh, or, or longer okay. to be a consultant. And what's the difference between if you're going to train to be a consultant, um, A&E doctor and a GP? Is it different training? Slightly. They start the same. Okay. Uh, you do the first three years about the same. Okay. And then, then they go on to do work in the GP surgery and then they become GPs. It's a lot quicker to become a GP. Okay. So it's what, a, a few extra years to be a consultant? Uh, yeah, on an average, probably would say in the UK about four years longer. Four maybe? years extra. Yeah. yeah. So I imagine... Three, four years, yeah. Yeah, so I imagine then that being um, in A&E, you must see a wide variety because um, am I right in saying you're like, you're the main man in charge, right? So when, if something really serious happens, you're the main man, but also you kind of oversee the smaller stuff as well? Yeah, kind of, you can say that. I mean, there's never one person in A&E who's overseeing we have a few of us okay like a few consultants around or a few nurse in charges around um and yeah you need everyone so everyone's overseeing each other if it if it were but yeah you could see an array of things you could see something that shouldn't be there okay like some of the paper cuts i have seen in any it shouldn't be there really yeah, so people yeah. come in with paper cuts well they have i mean yes all lots of stuff okay. uh, and yeah obviously in the serious stuff okay so i guess i mean at the moment, I'm assuming with the NHS, the way it is that hospitals are extremely busy. Um, I've, well, I've worked in the NHS for 14 years now. Okay. And I've seen a massive change, massive change. Um, I started off my first few jobs in a as a junior doctor. And now I'm a consultant in a and I can see a huge change. It's such huge pressures. Really? Yeah. What, what's, what's changed then? Has, has it been a budget cutback? Has it just been more people coming in, more stress? What, what have you generally um, seen? I think there won't be one single factor. There will be lots of factors. Uh, the population has changed. The more people around for the same catchment area, the lesser doctors and nurses than there were ever before. And I'm sure there's budget constraints. And yeah, people don't get appointments to the GP and they come to a and um, I'm sure GPs are overstretched too, but it, that's how this present state is. So a lot of people then, they rather than going to their doctors because perhaps the wait's too long, they just go to A&E. And what happens if, I mean, what, what are the waiting times like? Because you work in central London, don't you? Yeah, yeah, I work in, uh, in Romford. Yeah, it's, it's quite busy. It's one of the busiest A&Es in the country, I think, where I work in. Um, wait's variable. It's so variable. You could have uh, waiting for five, six hours in A&E. And, and it's so nice to see them waiting that long. But yeah. you just have no choice. Really? Because it's that busy? At times, it can be so busy. The people waiting on... Uh, wheelchairs trying to get on a trolley 
uh, and there's no trolleys or there's no beds. You're just waiting and waiting to get a bed. So that's why I guess you say everyone works together because unless people are all working together, it's impossible for it to work. Well, it wouldn't be possible actually. And I think um, the nurses are just overstretched virtually every single shift. They're probably standing on their feet for the whole shift. Wow. Surely isn't good for, and the porters and the headseers, this is just on the feet all the time. It's just mental. It is crazy. And yeah, uh, yeah it's, you've got to feel for them at times. Yeah. So why, why should people not go to A&E? Let's, let's get into this because I'm assuming, you know, if you can't get a doctor's appointment, people just think, oh, I'll just go to A&E. What's the main thing where you, where you see people that come in, they wait for ages and actually you just say to them, there's nothing we can do here. Um, you need to book and see your GP. Yeah, I mean, it's quite often actually that happens. Um, uh, it's difficult. I think people should be made aware of what a e is for. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And what GP is for. And I think it comes from the fact they're not sure half the time. They have nowhere to go and they think, let's go to a hospital. Okay. Um, halfly because they don't know what's the right thing to do. Uh, not necessarily it's their fault. I suppose they're coming in we have because they have no choice. Okay, yeah. But if they're given the choice and they've told the other options, I think that should help. I think there should be some kind of awareness out of that. Yeah, I mean, so could you could you go into it a little bit? I mean, if, for example, um, I've got a really bad headache that I've had for two or three days, would that be reasonable to come to A&E for that? Or is that more of a doctor's thing, or more of a GP thing? It's, it's more of a, it's difficult to say. Again, it could be for a lot of reasons. And hence, yeah. you need some kind of trained profession listening okay. to your symptoms to give you a better advice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not just listening to two words of what you just said. Okay. So, so to be more precise with what precise. It is I mean, that's yeah. exactly why you're going to a professional. I would have thought. So, there's one 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 service. There's a few new services that've been on for a few years now. Um, I'm not sure that's enough, in, in my opinion. But I suppose clearly isn't enough because we're seeing the load. I'm yeah. sure they're filtering. I don't know to what person to do a large proportion of people already, but maybe there should be more services of that kind. Uh, a bit more refined version where you have more professionals in the forefront. Yeah, so you feel like perhaps if I'm not sure what to do, I mean, there's there's these uh, GP apps now where you can see um, a, a doctor quite quickly. So perhaps that should be the first port of call for every, unless it's absolutely serious, like you're, you're bleeding out. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. But perhaps it should be, you know, if, you, if it takes 10, 15 minutes to speak to a GP via one of these apps, Perhaps that's a much better port of call than just instantly going to, to A and E. Yeah, I think that that was a great idea when I saw that actually. But yeah. I think if that were to be stretched for say every specialty, uh, say for doctor, not as it's, it depends on the doctor or the nurse, or it doesn't have to be just the doctor. Anybody who's got a better trained eye or professional mind could give an advice. Okay. If that was extended to beyond GPs, okay, to say to other specialties, I think that was a great idea because people could just text or, or go on an app and yeah, an appointment yeah. with a doctor who's probably at home willing to work on his app and give him advice so the barrier yeah basically at the moment it's like if there's something wrong with you try a GP if you can't get in then you go to A&E yeah. and there has to be some other things that go into place to stop people from stop doing that doing it. yeah so what are some of the, the more serious things you've dealt with over the years I mean so in a and I'm assuming that you deal with car accidents and stuff like that um, as the word stands it's not and it doesn't call A&E these days, we call it emergency departments because anything that's an emergency can come through those doors. Okay. Uh, it could be a child to an old granny. It could be from just a simple fall to a massive traffic accident. Uh, someone not breathing to someone just having a proper cardiac arrest. So it's variable actually. So um, it's quite, 
I mean, just so we can have a clear picture on on some of the the, the more emergencies that you deal with. If someone comes in and you know has had a pretty bad car accident, how how does the emergency room look like? Is it is it kind of like as you see on TV? Are there like are there like fifteen twenty people in one room and you're the man looking at the scans and telling people what to do? I mean, how how does that actually work out? It depends what kind of TV you're watching. If you're watching uh, uh, ER or Scrubs, yeah. obviously it's, or Holby City. It's not like that. Uh, okay. <laughs> it's nothing like that. Nothing okay. Like that. If so you're watching um, the 24 hours in A&E, that's off less. Well, obviously, that's more Yeah, like that's more like well. a reality one, isn't it? Yeah, what about house? Is there anything like that? I know. Everyone wants to be house. Yeah, of course <laughs> But, you know, I was talking to you before and you yeah. were saying that when you're um, trying to work out what's wrong with people, yeah. that actually it, it, can, it can be a case of really using logic to work it out because there's so many different systems and so many things that can go wrong. Um, how much of what you do is problem solving? A great deal, I'm sure, because um, if I put that in context, if someone came in with, uh, I'm not generalizing again, but the mainstream, if someone comes in with chest pain, we kind of have a few things in the head that we want to make sure it isn't or it is. And it's kind of like, so we call it differential diagnosis, or, or we okay. just don't come to one point diagnosis. We take time to differentiate from the, we go in an order where, the most serious ones come first and then we kind of eliminate one by the other. And that's why we've been trained and that's why we train yeah, okay. people to think. So actually, if you if you don't get a diagnosis straight away, I guess a lot of people are like, oh my God, like they don't know what's wrong with me. But that can also be a good thing. <laughs> that can be a good thing. Because yeah, yeah, yeah. at times I tell people, listen, listen to you, there's nothing wrong with you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I could see why patients could be apprehensive when you mm. tell them nothing is wrong. But they'll be like, yeah, this, there is something wrong. Because I can course. feel it. How much of what you do is related to stress? Because, sorry, with just what you've just said there, um, I can conceive that people that are highly stressed, uh, they don't have anything medically wrong with them other than stress. And it must be difficult for you to deal with that. It is. Uh, and I'm sure the GPs have a harder uh, stick at this than we do. Uh, and um, the patients find it much harder, I'm sure, because it's almost like they're not being listened to. Um, they come to any time and again you do a few tests and again it's normal they come back again you do the same set of tests again they're kind of normal and there's a lot of that more now I've seen than I did 10 years ago it's just my perception of it it's probably got to do with a lot of stress people are going through in certain types of aspects of life I would have thought um, so are you, are you seeing more stress nowadays than, than before yeah like, I mean there... even, even amongst the healthcare professionals we're so stressed yeah, um, yeah. Oh, so even your work colleagues are... Yeah, because we stretched. Okay. Virtually stretched. And a lot more people off sick, a lot more people doing temporary work, a lot more people taking more time off. Um, yeah, it's harder. And I'm sure that's the same impact is shown when we have patients as well, because they're longer to wait and they're taking longer to be seen, longer to get answers. So is that a problem then with people calling in sick all the time within the NHS? Do you, do you see that where you're understaffed because people are signed off work with stress? Uh, there is a fair amount. I can give you numbers, but um, you can get signed off. And there's occupational health in every hospital which deal with stuff like this. Um, but yeah, there's huger numbers now than there were before. Wow. How? I mean, one of the interesting reasons why I wanted to ask you today is how do you cope with the job that you do? Because, you know, you're going to work. Is it 10 hour shifts you do? Yeah, it could range yeah. from 8 to 12 hour shifts. So 8 to 12 hour shifts where anything can happen. 
And actually, before we go into this, I mean, you know, let's play this out and, and say that, you know, something bad does happen. And are you the person that would be responsible for letting family members know if someone's passed away, for example? Does, does that, is that your role? Yeah, it would be one of my roles or any uh, role of a doctor or nurse okay. in that team. Uh, they normally go as in, uh, as a pair or two or three together to, to okay. inform the family. It's never easy. Uh, I was going to say, that it. must be challenging for you, let alone, the, obviously, the family going to find it difficult. And yeah, it's very challenging. And it's very, if it's uh, uh, a kid, especially, to inform the parents. Yeah, um, that must be horrendous. Uh, are, are you trained or taught how to deal with that situation? Yeah. Um, you So you, in your training to be a doctor, they, they teach you how to give bad news, basically. Yeah, the train, uh, as, as when you're training as a doctor, you get higher and higher, you get trained in this. The nurses are trained as well. And we tend to have uh, yeah. debriefing sessions just after that amongst the staff. Okay. And what December. kind of advice do they give you on, on how, how do you give someone bad news? Do you make them sit down? I mean, is it is the, there the a lot of uh, factors we... we Play by, but um, one is definitely to sit down to see if they're comfortable and then they're someone with them. Okay. The various aspects. But one thing we train to do is just not beat around the bush, but tell them as it is, because so, you don't want to give them the hope that something hap- happening okay. when it isn't. So be absolutely clear and concise and definitive. Yeah. And obviously you have a debrief afterwards with, with you know, your other members of staff, but... How do you cope with that stress in your day-to-day life? When you're outside of work, what do you do to alleviate the symptoms of that? It's quite interesting, actually, because um, each one deals differently. Um, I tend to just compartmentalize my life. like just come out of work and I'm done. Okay, so you very so rarely talk about work outside I, work. I never talk about work okay, outside well, work. Sorry, sorry about that. today. <laughs> <laughs> Whoops. From today, yeah. I, I rarely do. So, yeah, just... Once I'm done with work, I'm done with work. Okay. And um, there is some part of work you take back at home and you've got stuff to prepare for and, and present and stuff. But So you just literally general, you just literally switch off. Do you, do, you, do you know how you manage to do that? Or is it literally just in your mind, you go to work, you work, you come back, that switches off and, and that's it? Pretty much that. Pretty much that. I can switch off and I kind of do various things outside work and that kind of interest. But so I, I kind of switch off from work. If not, it's very hard to function. Yeah, so outside of work, I know um, obviously you're into your gym training as well, but you also um, do men's fashion advice. Yes, um, I do, yeah. Um, how did you get into that? Because obviously being a consultant doctor and doing men's fashion, they're kind of completely unrelated, right? Completely unrelated, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. so how did you get involved in it? Um, I'm not sure how I started, but I knew um, I've always had an eye for it, uh, an interest in kind of fashion. Uh, and I just, with time, I just started evolving and changing for myself. And I saw the changes within me. Did, did you have any role models for the way that you were dressing when you first started changing? So I had various role models. Like I would look up yeah. the uh, the guys uh, on A-list magazines and, and how they were dressed. And then you start, you actually started to replicate. I started, that's the best thing I thought. I said like for, I mean, I can't replicate even now. If I said people who are iconic are like David Beckham or yeah, yeah, yeah. Johnny Depp, or they have different, different styles. Uh, I would look at any of these people who are well-dressed and I and thought if I could replicate something close to what they're wearing, it's a definitely a win-win. And the results were phenomenal. I just changed a little bit and, and, and I would just get 
a different kind of respect or, 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 or conversation starters from other people who would have otherwise not spoken at all. It's, that's so interesting that you say that because obviously um, for the listeners here, Neil has styled me for the, the first video content of this podcast. So um, if anyone's looking at what I'm wearing, it's <laughs> thanks to Neil and um, we'll share his Instagram details afterwards. But it's something I've noticed actually since that, um, before even before we did this interview, you know, I was waiting. I was waiting for you outside, and two people came and walked past and paid me a compliment. And it's interesting, just when you go into coffee shops and things like that. It's uh, even when you go into clothes shops, people are just way more respectful when you dress smarter. Um, and you've certainly niched down your look into. I mean, how would you describe the way that you dress? Is it smart? Is it smart casual? What's the actual term? Um, a bit, a bit of a. Both of them, I think. Okay, um, so a mix. Mix, like, yeah. um, to dress like a gentleman, that's that's the idea, I would have thought. Um, but you could look casual, like a gent, and a proper 1920s, if you were, or yeah. classic gentleman look. That's that's the kind of style I probably like. But it's definitely, like, the smarter style you prefer. I definitely prefer that. And, you know, one of the difficult things about when you do start to dress smarter is how do you match outfits together? Um, and this is funny because obviously <laughs> uh, we went shopping and you, you know, we bought me like five new suits um, and I, you know, you prepped me, you were like, right, where, you know, this, this, this is perfect. And then, and then I get home and, and I put it on and I think I've got no idea what I'm doing here. Cause, cause there's, there's a multiple things, right? So there's your socks. Um, obviously I can see your socks match your outfit. <laughs> there's your pocket square. There's your tie. Watch if you wear one, like wristbands. How did you, how did you learn? Like, where did you start? Did you start with shoes? What was the, what was your learning experience? Um, it's taken time, obviously. I mean, I think it's like, uh, you just train your eye to any, anything you like. It gets easier. I suppose okay. it's the same with any field. Uh, I'm sure I've mixed and matched horrendously. I made so many mistakes, but uh, every time I kept looking at something out of interest, I would pick up a different detail. Uh, Pinterest was a great start. Pinterest, okay. It was a brilliant start. So what, what, what were you looking for? Just like smart men's fashion? I, I would just type in whatever comes to my head, like smart men's fashion or hats or pocket okay. squares and, and anything that came to my head or anything I saw uh, on a picture that I admired saying he looked, he looks, he's well dressed in that picture. I would type in exactly what he was wearing in Pinterest and you get a great bit of extent of detail there. Okay, so you, you, and then piece by piece, you just learn. And then I'm guessing that along the way, people would compliment certain looks. Yeah. And the more compliment, compliments you get about a certain look, the more you move to that, that direction. Was yeah. That, yeah. Was that helpful? That, yeah. That's yeah. definitely helpful. Yeah. Because um, uh, certain, I mean, I'm sure that certain people can pull off everything. Uh, but certain textures, certain color of skin, uh, certain build, uh, it fits with certain people. Um, so what I've learned is um, the smart or smart casual, it generically fits most people. You can't okay. go wrong with anyone. Yeah. Um, sounds like I'm in a safe area, but yeah, it's it's it's, it's a good uh, place and good set of choice of clothes you can't go wrong with. And you feel like you get respected more when you dress that way? It's funny you say that because uh, I've, I've done that myself. I've gone to um, uh, a few stores before. I'm not naming any, but I would have just been like, walked in nobody speaks to you and I've gone yeah, back yeah, a, yeah. a couple of years later or probably a year later stressed pretty much like what I'm dressed now and you get three people attending to you yes sir can I help you <laughs> really straight away <laughs> you say to me yeah, I'm like yeah, yeah. I was yeah before nobody even looked at me kind. Um, yeah it's quite interesting 
So what are some of the things that you see guys do wrong with their, with their men's fashion? Um, I know one of the things you don't like is white socks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a bit of a, a bad, bad choice, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, unless you're Michael Jackson or where Michael Jackson or you uh, on the sports field, I personally think white socks should be left at home. Okay. So, uh. don't, so don't wear, but like, what, what are some of the, the things that you see? Like, because say, for example, people are they're listening or watching to this and they, they, they're like, okay, I like... I like the way Neil's dressed and what I'd like to do is up, up my style and up my game. What are some of the things that people will do wrong? Um, I know one of the things that you mentioned is the first blazer everyone buys is always navy. Yeah. So you're like, don't buy a navy blazer. <laughs> yeah. Because everyone yeah. likes to play safe. Okay. And, and, and I see why. So you, you wear black socks. Uh, you can push yourself to a bit of a grey socks. <laughs> if you're lucky, yeah. <laughs> if you're lucky uh, and then everyone's got a pair of black shoes okay you could touch a bit of a brown tan shoe yeah 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 um so it's, it's like if you if you start to dress smart you just do the stereotypical smart. stereotypical stuff okay yeah but, but that's, that's hard like when when you are upgrading it's hard to be adventurous because you're in you're in murky waters it's like ah. Oh, where, where, you know, does this look good and you're self-conscious and it, it's difficult. It is, it is very difficult. Uh, and I keep telling most people who I tend to give advice is the, the fact that you should be comfortable in it, it kind of shows. If you're wearing something nice, but you're not comfortable, it just oozes from a distance. It doesn't, doesn't look right. So I keep telling people, just try one outfit that is slightly different from the norm. I'm not asking you to jump from a navy blue to a checkered red or, or yeah, but you, yeah but you want them to really I, I really want them to <laughs> yeah, yeah. you're like, not telling them to day, but, you, know, yeah, you want them to not on day one at least like on day three yeah, yeah, maybe, yeah exactly yeah, build, build up to it <laughs> it's funny because when, when we've done some styling over the stuff like you, you've done like incremental steps with me yeah. and then like when I said I'm making the podcast video you were like yes perfect well, like, <laughs> we can finally upgrade to exactly uh, yeah. what I want but it's even like for example types of shirts now yeah. I, you know, I walk into the, the clothes store and you just knew so much about the, the different corner of shirts and, and the types of double cuffs and, you know, where, where do you start like getting this information from? Is it, do you literally just, just look things up on Pinterest, see what they're called and then go to a store and say, I want to try one of those on? Yeah. So you, as I said, Pinterest is a great start Yeah, because uh, it gives you more ideas than you were looking for. And you follow the links, links. Or it makes you more confused. Because <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's many things thinking, I don't know what goes with what. I'm serious though. You know, when I, when I told people you were coming on, they, they all wanted to know the questions that I'm asking. Uh, really? It's, yeah, they're like, it's proper complicated trying to dress a specific way. Yeah. So, okay, let me simplify. I'll tell you what the best thing uh, to start with. Say if I looked at someone and I had a picture of someone, I thought that's a good outfit. Okay. Just fix on just that one outfit or maximum two pictures. Okay. And look for them where you'd find them. So just replicate word to word. Okay. If you think he's too bold on a picture, just replicate half of what he's wearing. Okay. Like for instance, um, say you saw, I don't know, uh, David Beckham again, for instance, okay. he's wearing an amazing three-piece suit. Yeah. You know what he's wearing is extraordinarily expensive. Um, but you could kind of get, not saying a replica, but something similar to that. Okay. On the high streets. Yeah, yeah. None of what I wear is, is bespoke or, or, or... Yeah, where where, or, where do you advise getting people's clothes? Where do you well, advise... Well, I'll tell you this, for instance. I think shoes are vital. It's important. Okay. So the suit I'm wearing is from Topman. 
Okay. It isn't something. And how how much that, roughly was the suit that you were wearing? Uh, Two hundred pounds. Okay. So that's that's a, that's a um, the higher level of obviously top high shop. Le- exactly. Like higher level. Yeah. Okay. Because I think we the the suit that I'm wearing that you you got me I think was one hundred and ten pounds. Yeah. And the and it's from Zara. Yeah. And that's I had it tailored, which cost about forty quid. It's about one hundred and fifty. So are you looking around the one hundred and fifty to two hundred pound per suit? Per suit. Yeah. Okay. Okay, and Topshop, sorry, Top Man, Top Man, Zara, Zara um, Hoz, uh, uh, Moss Bros. Moss Bros. Okay, and um, they're your kind of main, main, main ones, three. Yeah. Okay, main three go-to ones. Um, yeah, just the high streets. I'm not spending too much. Okay. So just so you could replicate something, not replicate exactly what like Beckham is, but once you start doing that on the first two occasions, you get an idea yourself. Yeah, obviously you know what feels right. What feels right. So when you're when you're trying these things on, is it more a case of as you put it on, you'll know you're like, yeah, this feels good. This is me. Is so that the- it's hard. First you do. Yeah, yeah. And then when you walk out and you think nobody around you is wearing that. Okay. Like your mates are not. You're the only one. You're thinking, I look at this guy now. So- yeah, that's the other thing I was going to ask you actually because if I was trying to change my style to go smarter and I didn't have you to help me with this, I'd be feeling really self conscious going out and just. In my day-to-day life, I'd be thinking, oh, you know, you know, a lot of people already know me. If I get something wrong, you know, you've got that whole embarrassment thing. But then when someone like you says, no, that's what you wear, that looks perfect. It's like, that just completely goes. But how do you, it's difficult, isn't it? How do you overcome that barrier? Say, it's because I, I didn't feel that to start with. Uh, but I kept telling myself, listen, um, I know it looks good. Everyone okay. knows it looks good. Say... If someone is making a comment at you, that means something is working. Okay. <laughs> yeah, okay. Right, so, so it's, it's I, like I, good I, press or bad press. It doesn't matter because they, they're looking at it. So they're noticing it. They're noticing it. So yeah. it has to be a good thing. That's a good point, actually. So it's, it's kind of like what you don't want is no feedback from people. Yeah. You either want people saying, you know, why are you wearing no socks? Well, exactly. Or oh, I like your socks. I like your socks. <laughs> yeah. like so it's your... one or the other. No. Okay. So you're a, a big fan then of dressing in a way that creates an emotional response in people that see you um it's not just for the people i just feel like it's um self-respect as well okay but the Um, the feedback of other people outwardly saying to you you look really good or i like your suit it's it's a feel-good factor as soon as you get a compliment it's it's you just it's like as soon as you give someone a compliment they love it Right, mm. so if someone is complimenting. You just feel good automatically. So why don't want what, what? What is stopping you from doing that? So have you have you since you started dressing smarter? Do you start complimenting other people that dress well? Have you started one hundred percent? You do all the time. Uh, and you start, and, and also as well, I guess, do you pick up ideas from other people? Yeah, I have. Yeah. Uh, even uh, and I'm sure people do vice versa when you look on the street. You walk up on the street and you see someone wearing uh, a nice jacket, a nice blazer. Or nice shoes. You go up to them and ask them where it's from, and or yeah, yeah. give them a compliment, and yeah, they give you one straight back. So actually, is if, it like socially dressing smarter helps you as well? Then because I guess people are way more receptive to to just being around you or talking to you in social environments. It definitely has helped. Yeah. Um, you walk around just nicely. You just speak to people. They're polite to you. You can be, and they're polite to you automatically because you're nice to them. Um, yeah, even in, in a settings where I wouldn't be speaking they they're nice yeah it's interesting isn't it so obviously um we're going to show your Instagram details later but your, your Instagram's Dr Pocket Square obviously we know that you're a doctor <laughs> <laughs> but but Pocket Squares you you've kind of um coined this for yourself um 
pocket squares do really add a lot of substance to outfits you just just talk to me about your love of pocket squares because you've got I don't even know how many you've got or how many you've given away yeah it's I'll tell you how the name uh, Dr. Pocket Square came by okay uh, yes the love for pocket squares is always there uh, so my brother who lives back in India he's uh, not much into fashion as much as I would be able to thought, but he's got a different style you look at these uh, pocket squares and say, what are these colourful handkerchiefs? Right. Yeah. And <laughs> that's I'm probably like, what I would have called them. <laughs> yeah, that's how would call them. And it would be like, no, Ram, it is a pocket square. And like 20 minutes later, he'd be like, what's that colourful pocket square? <laughs> a colourful handkerchief again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and then I had to correct him again. So he never would remember. And then in one point, he's like, all right, doctor, pocket square. Ah, and then you just... And stuck to the rim, yeah, yeah. Ah, and then you decided that that was going to be kind of your niche within the, within the men's fashion. Within the men's fashion, yeah. Yeah, that's super interesting. So the other thing, obviously, um, I'm looking at is socks. Um, is there any, like, go-to advice with socks? I mean, do you want to be wearing bright red ones, bright yellow ones? Do you want to match them to your suit? How, do, how does that work? Um, I'll tell you who I like who wears colourful socks. Uh, Peter Jones. Okay. Uh, so Peter Jones, Den. the guy from Dragon's Den. Yeah, yeah. Okay. He's, his socks are so colourful to different outfits. It stands out. So does, he, does it matter what colour your socks are then? Or I mean, it doesn't matter if you're wearing, a, a, in my opinion, if you're going to an evening dinner and then you're wearing a plain black because of the suit. Uh, otherwise, I think a bit of a colour to the socks just adds a bit more colour to what you're wearing. Okay, so uh, just any, so I guess normally like when you are sat, sat down, your socks show a bit more. So yeah. just having a bit of colour on them just... What, it makes you feel a bit better or just makes you feel a bit stylish or? It's a bit more colour to, to your outfit. Okay. Uh, I think I think just wearing plain colours or plain dark colours reminds me of me going to school. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. And yeah. plain black shoes. And plain black shoes. Actually, let's talk about shoes. Yeah. So, um, yeah, let's, let's, let's just talk about <laughs> shoes. So, <laughs> so, you know, a lot of, uh, a lot of people, I guess, wear the traditional black, traditional tan, um, for people that would like to have a bit more style, how do they go about making their shoes more stylish? There are a lot of um, shoe companies out there. And again, they're not too expensive to buy them. Uh, these days, just get double monk. Uh, double monk shoes. Double okay. monk shoes. Yeah. For anyone watching the video, Neil and I are both wearing double, double monks. Monk. Um, uh, okay. See, that's a good one, Gary. Yeah. Uh, or a loafer. Okay. And standard Oxford shoes or a Brogues because the kind of formal shoes for most outfit uh, outfits. And and with regards to shoes, I mean, do you, do you want to be wearing like shoes that are one set color? Or, you know, I notice you're wearing ones that are navy and tan, which yeah. adds a bit of um, contrast, yeah. which looks great. Would you advise adding contrast to, people, to the shoes? Because I think most of the shoes I've seen you wear all have contrast. They have two different colors in them, yeah. at, le at least, yeah. Again, it's the, uh, going back to the, away from the norm isn't it it's like you know when you start wearing the navy navy blue jackets and you start getting a bit of a tan shoes and then tan's a bit different from the normal ones yeah yeah you want to go one step different to look a bit different and i personally think two colors add a bit more to the shoe yeah i think they, they definitely do and then obviously with the socks as well yeah so what you know just um casting your mind back then so obviously when you're thinking about and getting dressed nowadays um you've got a lot more knowledge in this but how did it compare to like we won't give away your age here, but <laughs> say like, you know, 15 years ago being kind, <laughs> but 15 years ago being kind, um, 
Was it just a case of going in the wardrobe and chucking on anything that you had? Or have you always taken care of your appearance? You just didn't know how to dress when you were younger. A bit of both. Um, so over the period of time when I wanted to change the wardrobe, I went, anything I haven't worn for the last two seasons, I've got to throw or just dispose or give it away because uh, if the new ones need to come in, the old has to go and get rid of the emotion and stuff. And I did take away quite a few. And yeah, and it takes time. It takes, it takes time. <laughs> so how, how, long, how long, well, obviously, is it still, is it still a work in progress, <laughs> I'll take it? It's always work in progress. You're always looking. I'm just thinking as well about belts. Yeah. Um, just like moving on to those, because again, um, people get these wrong all the time, I'm assuming. So am I right in saying you should match your belt with your shoes or is yeah. that not true? No, that's true. That is true. That is very okay. true. Okay. So you match your belt with the main color of your shoes. Yeah. Okay. And can you also match that to your pocket square or is your pocket square matched to your tie or your shirt or how does that work? Say, no, well, again, there's no hard and fast rule, but a general for someone who's reading uh, in depth with this, the pocket square normally matches some kind of a color in your outfit. Um, ideally, your shirt, tie, waistcoat, it shouldn't be of the same color or same fabric of your tie. Okay. Uh, the color probably a bit of, Maybe, but not exactly the fabric. Yeah, so maybe like a bit darker or something than your tie. Yeah. So you want a bit of contrast again in, in the clothing. In the clothing, yeah, yeah. And yeah. The, the, the colours of the tie and the pocket square is still fine. Okay. But not the same fabric or the same material. Yeah, so that, that makes sense. And we might as well go in depth with this as you are, Dr. Pocket Square. What about folding pocket squares? There's a load of different ways of doing it. There are loads. There's... They're about, yeah, I don't know. What are your favourite, what are your favourite three, do you know what the favourite three folds are that you, your go-to folds of a pocket square? Do you know what the names yeah, are? Yeah, yeah, I okay. mean, one I would just do, what's, uh, like a flower, like what I've done now. Like a flower, okay. Yeah. So just, just okay. Just, uh, you kind of curl up and then you make it like a flower. Okay. Then you do a standard line, which is a classic. The classic, just straight line, straight line. like a handkerchief, straight, yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. And then you can get the three fold where you have the three things poking in. Okay. Okay. Uh, the, the, as I said, there are tons more. There are tons more, but there's the three ones I commonly go after. Uh, and where can people, uh, where did you learn how to fold them? Are there videos on YouTube? Are there? Uh, so from Pinterest. Okay, from um, Pinterest. There's, uh, yeah, there's diagrams in them and then you can go to YouTube and watch them. And watch the, okay, watch and exactly how to do them. Watch exactly how to do them. It's, yeah. as I said, there's so many, just stick to a couple of them. It's it's kind of easy, I suppose, with anything. Yeah, yeah, once, once you know you've got to do a couple. It. Yeah, yeah. And what about like tie knots? Is there, if you're going to go proper smart, is there, I think I'm wearing a Windsor, if I'm yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, so do you like, is the Windsor not your favourite type of tie? Yeah, I think it's kind of classic in Windsor, so it's just there uh, for most uh, ties, if you're wearing one. So that's like, the Windsor is the classic men's look, if you wanted to go for the, the smart look. Yeah, yeah? 100%. Okay. Yeah, perfect. So, and what about like, I noticed you're also wearing like beads around your wrist. Is that, is that just to add and you're wearing a nice watch as well? Any advice on, on the watch or the beads? Um, I love to accessorize and I okay. think accessories are kind of important. It kind of just adds a bit more to the flavor. The way I look at it is, um, I give a bit of analogy to what I think, why people wear accessories. Um, if going back to time, let's say Roman times or Kings or they always had, the hierarchy was based on the more accessories they had. Okay. Uh, you go to this day and age where the armed forces have more accessories, the higher you are. 
That's a good point. So you get like your stripes as you, you go you up the command. You get stripes higher. You, just, you have tags around. You have name tags. Yeah, you have four badges around. And you have a hat. You have something else written on it. So, so you found, you think that the accessories um, are linked to being higher up in the in a, in a hierarchy in I the world. personally uh, had that analogy in mind when I thought you should exercise. I know mean, there's a limit. You can't. Yeah, you, yeah. you don't want to wear a thousand beads. A thousand beads that are massive like, gold chain. Yeah, no, and look like a Christmas tree. No, yeah, no, yeah, no, yeah. but but you do ex- see people that over accessorize as yeah, well, yeah. right? So it's the case of so it's just yeah, it's a case of do it but not too much. Less is yeah, more yeah, at yeah. times. Yeah, that makes sense as well. So the the accessories then are are really um, you put your main outfit together and then you accessorize with with the beads, the pocket square, um, the watch, and you also have um, a lapel badge. Yeah. As well? Okay. And your lapel badge, I can't quite see what is, it's a... It's a syringe. It's a syringe. Okay. Well, that makes, <laughs> <laughs> well, that makes sense as well then. <laughs> so again, you can, so actually you can accessorize in a way that, that suits you um, as well. Like with, with your lapel badge, you can wear something like you have that's relevant to what you do for a living. If you're a musician, you could have like a little guitar and, and things like that. So it's actually, it could be like a little talking point as well about why you wear it. Exactly. And people... Yeah, I mean, they say you, you could uh, tell a person who he is from the way he looks. Yeah, you yeah. certainly tell what I do for a living. Yeah, yeah, I know. Well, it either looks like you're a doctor or a drug addict. <laughs> <I know>. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure which one. <laughs> so obviously, um, you know, moving on from the, from, from the men's fashion. So you do, um, obviously, you're, you're a doctor and you work four or five days a week. Is that your, your yeah. general, general schedule? And then you do your men's fashion and your... Um, Obviously, you, you train at the gym. Is there anything else that you do outside that just helps you de-stress? Is it like socializing with friends? Is, it, is there anything that really helps you? Friends are a huge uh, part of my life, actually. Okay. Um, and I love to socialize. People who know me would, would, would agree to that. Uh, that helps me to come out of work and then de-stress everywhere. But, um, and I love to travel. Okay. Mm. And so... With friends, I guess you get the escapism of just being with them, being in their company and having fun. And with the traveling, it's more about going and seeing new cultures and getting out of the day to day. Because you're actually you're actually Indian originally, aren't you? Yes. Yeah. So obviously, um, it's a different culture here. And then, where else do you like going? Is there a specific part of the world, or um, the more I travel, I feel like the little I know. Okay, uh, so it's a case of just anywhere with a different anywhere type of culture. Way, yeah. Was it was there like um, a culture shock when you first came to the UK? Uh, not really, actually, because uh, you grew up uh, watching the, the TV series or, or the movies around. So I kind of expected what it to be. Okay, uh, so it was actually like it was watching it on TV. Yeah, pretty much, yeah. <laughs> you became a character in your own I became TV a character, show. Yeah, no. Yeah. So actually, uh, so where's the where would you say is like the biggest culture shock you've had then because if going from like india to england wasn't wasn't that bad was it when you went back to india <laughs> after being in london for a while was that was that like was that a bit of a shock it wasn't a shock actually yeah but a few things i'm trying i was trying to implement uh, uh things that are done here there and vice versa it didn't, doesn't work you've got to just the two different places oh really so it's like be a roman in rome uh i can give you one uh, example for instance i went back from here the first year of coming back and I started to drive in India 
and trying to give place or way to everyone who walked past the pedestrians. Obviously, there are one billion of us. I'd be here on the road for the whole day. Oh, really? So you're, actually, you're like, yeah. this is never going to work. Yeah, it wasn't going to work. And yeah, I, had yeah, just, yeah. I had to just be a bit more cautious and drive like the way I would drive in India. And, um, and you also, I think we mentioned, I mean, we mentioned this before, but the sense of community in India, you feel is way stronger than, than what, what we have in London. Um, yeah, people who've been to India, you, you could say you could, you're never alone in India, I think. Um, this a huge social bonding, I suppose it comes from the culture of, of, of the Eastern culture everywhere. The best, I think, uh, there's a mix of the East and the West. Okay, and so, so like so a blend things, of both. There's so many things that are amazing here, there's so many things amazing there. And, and, and I think if there was a mix of the two somehow, I think the world would be a much better place. Yeah, so taking like the best from both, from both of them. There's so many aspects that uh, uh, would be so fitted here and so many aspects from here would be brilliant there. So what, I mean, what is the the best thing that from the Eastern world? And I know you do like meditations and stuff like that. What would be the best part that you think if it was brought over from the East over to here that you think would benefit the most amount of people? I, th- I think that in simple words, if the whole... Uh, I'm not, I can't, again, you can't generalize, uh, but as a whole, if you were to speak, you had the spirituality of the East and the West and the bureaucracy of the West and the East, it would be a perfect mix. Wow. And I mean, where such different cultures as well, where is, um, where are people happier? Because obviously you, li- you live right in the center, well, by Liverpool Street and yeah. sort of kind of in the center of London. Um, and obviously you live in one area, you can't talk for the whole of India, but when you're back home and there is that sense of community and never feeling alone because I imagine that people in the UK can often feel very isolated and I've interviewed um, a few psychologists on the show and they're really heavily into being part of a community and how much that actually assists your mental well-being yeah yeah how do you find that when you when you go back home is that is it a complete contrast to London it is a huge contrast Um, again I'm sure the the urban parts of India kind of moving a bit different from the uh, community as such. But if you go back to the rural parts of India, they still have stronger bond of community. Yeah. Um, a labourer, if you're aware, he probably earn about a pound a day, uh, but he's happy in his own confinement. Uh, because he doesn't have the Western pressure of the society over, over in the East, is that? Uh, probably, I don't know. He's just content. Yeah. They're just happy. And, and yeah, each time you watch stuff like this, you just think, they're so, that's spirituality, you're just happy. Yeah. So I take it you learn something when you go back there and you see people like it. Yeah, every single time. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I go once a year, I try to go twice a year, but every single time. Yeah. Wow. And I, I guess like, um, it must be such a different realm when you, when you go from like the chaos of a London a&E, you know, where literally anything can happen, people are coming in and I guess there's a lot of pressure on you as well, like managing so many people. And then you go back home and then there's people just doing very relaxed jobs and they're completely content. Does it, does it make you question your, your life choices actually when you see that? Um, no, absolutely not actually. Um, not like everyone is content and happy there, I suppose. And likewise, yeah, I'm sure people have a lot of reasons. People are content and certain aspects even here, like a great, okay. a great deal of them. And I'm sure a great deal of people in India are content too. Um, yeah, I think one of the best choices I made was to come here because uh, I was a different person. Uh, I am who I am today for what I've worked mm. here in the NHS. And because I have the mix of the two 
pro- that's exactly who I am at the moment. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, and I'm very happy with what I chose. So you feel proud that you made the right decision to come over to the UK? It's proud of the fact that I'm still here, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and obviously, like, pr- proud of the fact of, of what you do for a living and the, and the fact that you're in a position to, to help a lot of people. And, you know, there's a story, you, you know this, but, you know, I asked you what happens when someone has, a, was it a, a fit? Yeah, when someone has a fit, what yeah. do you do? And you told me how to, how to deal with it. And two days later, someone in front of me claps on the street um, in my hometown and, and had a fit in front of me. And just that knowledge that you gave me made me feel, made me deal with the situation extremely well. But it also made me feel so powerful to be able to actually physically help someone that is sick. But I guess in your situation, you have both sides of the coin. You get to physically help people that are sick, but at the same point, you also have the, the situations that you can't help. And that is obviously the, the paradigm that you have to work within. That's hard. That's very hard when you know you can't help. Um, but at times you've got to accept there's only so much you can do. Yeah. Um, and it's harder when uh, it's your dear ones or loved ones. Hence, you can't, you're not meant to treat your dear yeah. ones or loved ones. Because I guess you're too close to it and you might and catastrophize it. or Yeah, your judgment is clouded. So yeah, of course yeah. it is. Well, Neil, listen, today has been um, enlightening. It's been it's been really great to have you on today. Um, if people wanted to find out more about the men's fashion advice that you do, uh, what's the best way of doing that? I have an Instagram uh, page now and I've got a blog. Okay. Um, hopefully soon I want to start a YouTube channel on, okay. on the men's fashion and a bit of medical awareness, if it were. Yeah, it's part and parcel of it. Yeah, I mean, it's two aspects, which I think what I've learned and it's only best to give back. And they, they link in. Link in, yeah, it's Dr. Pocket Square. So it's Dr. Pocket Square. And what we'll do is we'll put a link to your Instagram below. Um, and yeah, thanks very much for coming on today. Thank you so much. Perfect. Perfect.